0: With that said, that gives me a perfect segue into Acts week 2. So back way up to the beginning, I should have said this last week, I'll say it now. Couple ground rules. My purpose in a messianic Jewish walk through the book of Acts is in no way whatsoever to belittle, to tear down, to offend, to separate us from the church or Christians, or anything like that. that it, would be, it would be the ultimate ridiculousness, the ultimate 180 opposite to teach a series about the book of Acts, which is about unification with the intention of separation or haughtiness or like saying that we have all the answers. So I think, you know, even that little thing I'm not being critical of that. I just think that's very, very interesting. That, that really what that whole thing was about that we looked at and, wa- and walked through a little bit with North Point Church was the book of Acts. It was the, it was the aftermath of Yeshua's ministry on earth and, and what he did. And it was his version of Acts was the aftermath, Right? So, if I'm honest about why I'm doing this, I I can't not say that that I don't intend to correct a misguided perspective. That is true. I do see things that are wrong, and I intend to say things that I believe are right. Do I have every answer correct? Kelly can tell you yes, because she always tells me that. No, I don't. But you see, the purpose of the book of Acts is so beautiful when read and understood as the author intended it to be read and understood, not as it's twisted around to make something happen that didn't really happen. So, you know, I don't wanna do those things. I don't wanna be divisive. I don't wanna offend. I don't wanna separate. But I'm willing to run the risk that some of the things that I say might, and it's just okay. Because sometimes, you know, I can't remember, somebody gave me a correction the other day that I don't remember that I needed. Sometimes we just need it. It's okay. Like when we're five years old, we hate to be corrected. By the time we're 45, we ought to be better at that, right? We ought to be willing to receive that. But so let's back up because what I said last week and what we looked at was very foundational. And this week is also foundational. We did look at some of the text from chapter one in Acts. And let let me also say this, just as we're laying it all out here. My intention with this type of teaching, which I don't do, like, as I said last week, I've never really done this. I'm a, I'm a topical teacher. Like, I like to find some application in life in the Torah and do something funny with it. And that's one of the reasons that I love Jonathan Sachs is because I find so much of his stuff relates that way. But to go through a book and just look at lines of scripture and talk about them is not something that I've done or I've found that I'm comfortable doing because it's very very different for me and what I want to do is complicate everything like and just say okay well this is this says this but it could mean this and it also could mean this and if you read this commentary it would say this and like by the end of it I've got like three points that are taking up 45 pages of notes. That's not what we need to do here. That's not what I need to do. However, you're going to have to give me a little bit of time to settle into this new groove and figure out how we're going to best navigate this because I think it's important for us and selfishly it's important for me to be able to teach this way in a better, more informed way more powerful way to have you walk away with something important. So that's my little disclaimer. Last week, the starting point. The continuation of the message of Luke in his gospel, which was centered on what? What did Yeshua spend 40 days teaching about? What were they supposed to go out and teach about? The kingdom of heaven. That was the starting point. Now, I saw this movie one time, several times actually, back from the 80s with John Candy and Steve Martin. It was called Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. Anyone ever see that movie? One of my favorite scenes is when John Candy tells these just stories upon stories upon stories and he goes on and on. Anyone ever had a conversation like that with someone? He goes on and on and on and on and on and finally Steve Martin looks at him and says, I don't remember the quote, but it's something like this. Please, please, when you tell a story, do your audience a favor. Have a point. (laughs) And so I want to translate that to say Luke had a point, but he also had a purpose. And they're actually, they sound similar. And I'm going to use a lot of alliteration with the letter P, I think, because Peter and Paul are main characters and points and purpose and... We're gonna do that a lot. So uh, here is the supposed purpose for many mainstream Protestant and and Catholic uh, uh, opinions of the book. The purpose of Acts is to begin one thing and end another. It is to stop something and say, this stopped and this began. Side note, what began is dramatically different and much better. What is that thing that began the birth of something. In all your little commentary, like your paragraph titles and your divided Bibles, when we come to Acts 2, it usually will say something as a headliner there. The birth of the church. The birth of the church. So the book of Acts, if you you listen and, and read and study and look at, it doesn't matter the level of commentary, Acts is a book supposedly about the birth of the church. It's a foregone conclusion that Luke is writing to communicate that something new has come. And that new thing is the church. Israel, replaced by Yeshua followers, is no longer, it is now the church. And we have a very, very common theological term that this, this is the beginning of what is called supersessionism, right? Everybody know that term? Supersessionism, aka replacement theology. Okay, so the new thing is better than the old. And as a matter of fact, it's so much better and so much newer and so much more awesome that it just replaced the old. And Luke is writing that way. That that, that Luke's purpose was to say, the old has passed away and it's not coming back and I don't have anything to do with it and you shouldn't either because here's how it goes. Will it surprise you to know that I disagree with that conclusion? There are four purposes that Luke had in writing the book of Acts. First of all is the pairing, Two is the promise. Three is the players. And four is the power. The pairing, the promise, the players, and the power. We're gonna look at two of those because they don't even make sense at this point to you. Those are just more alliteration with the letter P. The first purpose of the book of Acts, the pairing. And this is the most obvious the most obvious part of this. A link from what Yeshua began to do and teach in the book of Luke to what then happened next. Okay? It's that obvious. I said in our little teaser in the email, like Matthew and Mark, they didn't get a they didn't get a seg, they didn't get a sequel. They didn't get to follow up their go- Well, Luke is a different dude. And his purpose, one of his purposes for the book of Acts is clearly to give us an understanding of what came next. It doesn't matter that nobody else did. Luke did it. He paired what Yeshua came, began to do and teach with what happened next through the apostles, which is what Acts 1 says. Luke says, in in Luke 1, 1, "As as much as many have undertaken to compile an account of the things accomplished among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. Okay, pause. Was Luke an eyewitness? Did Luke behold Yeshua? Did he have conversations with Yeshua? Did Yeshua give him a mandate to go out and share and build the kingdom of heaven? He, he, like he's a gospel writer, right? That means he was with Yeshua. No, he wasn't. He definitely wasn't. And we, we'll probably talk about Luke a little bit more down the road. But it's important to know that Luke was not walking the streets of Jerusalem with Yeshua. Okay? But he says, from the beginning, that he says, it seemed fitting for me as well, having investigated everything carefully from the beginning to write it out for you. So what is Luke? He is an investigative journalist inspired by the Holy Spirit. Luke has gone back and studied everything that's out there and there's a whole bunch of crazy, complicated stuff about when Luke was written. There are a number of opinions. In the 60s, in the 80s, in the second century, there's a number of opinions. But Luke is writing at least, at least 30 years after Yeshua's resurrection. So he says that he wants to do this, he wants to write it out for you in consecutive order, most excellent Theophilus, that's who Luke and Acts are written to, who is Theophilus, you can do your own research there, so that you may know the exact truth about the things you have been taught. There is a purpose for Luke in writing Luke and the book of Acts. Acts 1.1, the first account I composed, Theophilus, about all that Yeshua began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had by the Holy Spirit given orders to the apostles whom he had chosen. I am Luke. I've looked up everything. I've looked at the sources. I've compiled something for you, Theophilus, with, with excellence and with detail so that you can know what happened with Yeshua and what has happened next. Let's get these things connected. He is my kind of guy. He is about facts. He is about figures. He is about people. He is about history. He is about geography. Luke, more than anyone else, quotes and has Roman leaders mentioned and censuses. He has Herod mentioned. He has historical references, uh, Roman history, Quirinius, Augustus, Pilate, Jewish history, Herod, the king of Judea, Herod Antipas, Agrippa. He has geographical insights and references in his things, but he has one very particular geographic reference. Does anyone have a clue where Luke starts his story in the book of Luke? In Luke, in Luke, he has his story begin in Jerusalem. You know why? Because Jerusalem matters a whole lot. Everything that was going to happen with Yeshua headed toward Jerusalem and Luke makes it very, very Very clear. Everything that happens after that starts in Jerusalem and heads out, but Jerusalem is the center. That's important. That's important. It's vitally important. He says in Luke 24, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at, for Luke he must anchor the story where it needs to be anchored so that scripture can be real when it says, Torah <speaking in Hebrew> That was off key. Don't worry about it. It started there. And it is Mirushalayim going out from Jerusalem to Judea. To Samaria, to the Galilee, to Damascus, to Phoenicia, to Syria, and Antioch, and to the end of the world, which is anyone know where the end of the world is Rome Jerusalem was is, and will be the epicenter that is what Luke communicates that is part of the pairing, but what he what he has done here in this pairing, in the words of Uh, in a doll, Luke is recording the continuation of biblical history. It is a radically important book and a radically important purpose. And it is a common sense pairing as well. Imagine, imagine reading Paul's letters without the book of Acts. Imagine like who is this guy? What is he saying? How, how did he get in the story? And what about these Goyim? What about these Gentiles? Like, what's he talking about? How'd they get in here? Who who let the Gentiles in? Who? Who? who right? <laughs> like, without the book of Acts, how do we how would we connect those things? So that's just like Common sense, Luke's smart enough to know wow, somebody better do something about this. It's particularly important for us as Luke has done a marvelous job of letting us see the continued Jewishness, the authentic Jewish foundation of our faith, Yeshua and the kingdom, Peter and Gentile inclusion, Paul the Pharisee. Luke is writing an apologetic, actually, not saying, I'm sorry. He's writing a defense of, for Theophilus and for all of us. He's giving a reason to believe all the things based on what I have heard about, researched, and now have seen. Because Luke saw some of these things. And we'll talk about Luke and Paul. Luke traveling with Paul. Luke having seen life with Paul. And that's one of our, next week's purposes that we'll talk about when we look at the players in the book of Acts as one of Luke's purposes but he is writing this apologetic a foundation of the faith of what that Yeshua said this was going to happen and check it out Theophilus and check it out Claudius and check it out Yehuda, whoever you are, Jew or Gentile, here's the record of what happened. It started in Jerusalem. It was a Jewish story. And just as Yeshua said, look how it happened. So he's giving us this connector. And he intends that to pass on to the post-apostolic age. That is, the witnesses of Yeshua have, many of them have gone now. I mean, there were 500. Paul says Yeshua appeared to as many as 500 witnesses. Paul says some of them are asleep. Well, this is a lot several years later. You know, there's still some around. But Luke is intent on making sure that this story does not get lost or confused. How sad. How sad, how confused it is. The story of salvation, which is absolutely connected to the biblical history of Israel, through which Messiah Yeshua would come and redeem the world. The first account I composed, Theophilus, about all that Yeshua began to do and teach, and now all that came after him, connected to Israel. And he has demonstrated it for Theophilus that the promise, purpose too has been realized. What is the promise? Probably this is the, the fundamental of four purposes that Luke has. The promise is the, 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 that the Bible is real, that God's word is real, that Yeshua is real, and here's why. 37 quotes from the Old Testament for Luke in the book of Acts. The story started a long, long time ago. It wasn't something that he made up. It wasn't something that Yeshua made up. 37 references and many other little snippets of things that are found in the Old, in the old Testament. And it is written and different things like this that you find. That's not one of them, but I, I didn't make my notes good there. 37 quotes in Acts, phrases, allusions. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, David, Moses, the Psalms, the stories, the heroes of the Old Testament are all a part of the book of Acts. Mainly where? In the first 10 to 15 chapters. Why? Who was he talking to in the first mainly 10 to 15 chapters? The Jews. And he wants to make the promise easily seen. All of our heroes, all of our heroes testified to this. Paul does not quote that much Torah. I think there's like two or three quotes from 15 on. Why? Who's Paul talking to? Idol worshipers, former, former. They're not at the place where they know what. Torah is, and they're not really that interested in what the promises in the Torah were, actually. But that's why Acts 15, so these these brilliant men of the Jerusalem council said, hey, let's not put all of the Torah on them. Let's just give them these four things, and they'll learn more about the Torah in where? Synagogue. Okay, but that's a side note. Why? Why would Luke care? What do the Gentiles care about? What, what, what does Luke need to communicate to them? What is important? The primary purpose of the book of Acts for Luke is unity. Jews and Gentiles, peace, something new has happened. And this is the promise of Yeshua Yeshua made this promise. So Theophilus, if this is all you get, if this is all you get, understand that the guy I'm telling you who came began to do and teach and was buried, crucified, buried, resurrected, and came again. He said these things about you and your people being able to come into this family. And this book of Acts that I'm writing is to tell you, It has happened. Take it to the bank. And here's what Yeshua said. Matthew 8, 10 and 11. When Yeshua heard this, he's talking about the the, um, centurion. Truly I say to you, I have not found such great faith with anyone in Israel. I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. Theophilus, Luke says, That's happened, and this book is how it happened. Yeshua goes on to say when he's speaking to the the disciples on the road to Emmaus, and he's bringing out all the things, he opened their minds to understand the Scriptures, and he said to them, thus it is written, that the Messiah would suffer and rise again from the dead on the third day, and that repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all nations." Beginning in Jerusalem, Theophilus, you are all nations. Peter represents Israel. Paul represents the nations. And that has happened. Take it to the bank. The promise is for the far off too. Ephesians, right? Those who were far off. And that actually makes up the bulk of our story in Acts. Like we have Shavuot, we have the Jews coming in, we have, you know, speaking in languages that everybody understood, and we have all that happening, and it's pretty condensed. But the most attention is paid to how in the world the Gentiles work. Because Luke intended for them to see that these promises are for them as well as for the Jews. Here's the problem. supersessionism has done away with the part that was good for the Jews. And that's what we said at the beginning. That the promise no longer includes them. That the aftermath, when the dust settled, that the Christians were now in charge And I want to clarify this. While Acts spends a large amount of time showing how the promise of God through Yeshua would come to include non-Jews, the purpose of this book is not the story of the birth of the church. It's not the story of the end of Judaism. It's not the story of the end of a Pharisee named Saul who became a Christian named Paul. You can call it semantics, but this is not a change in absolute identity. It is not about excluding one or separating these people. Luke's purpose is unity, right? It's not complicated. You know all that. Unity is the promise, fellow heirs, shared inheritance. And I think if we look at those purposes, the promise is the most important thing that Luke wants to communicate in purpose. Joseph Shulam, who did a great commentary, I don't even know, 1,800 pages, Jewish commentary on the book of Acts. He says this, Acts has traditionally been used as proof that God has abandoned the Jews and turned to the Gentiles. Anyone ever heard that before? Well, basically Andy Stanley said that, right? So you, you've heard it before and probably 150 other places. Paul's call and subsequent statement that he's turning to the Gentiles that Peter's vision on the roof of Shimon's house in Jaffa and the impression that non-Jews joined the community in their myriads all seemed to give the impression that God had rejected his people and taken for himself a new people, a new nation, the new church. That is not true. And we know this, right? Of course we know this. Not everybody knows this, so we have to lay these foundations. And even if you do know them, sometimes we have to relay those foundations. It is absolutely the most fundamental error to imagine that the book of Acts means that. And we can see from some recent messages and from a whole world that exists, a, a, a community of God that is built on the idea that they've replaced Israel supersessionism replacement theology at best. At worst, the idea that the church was born in Acts to the exclusion of Israel has resulted in the death of millions of Jews who are called Christ-killers. There's an interesting quote I found in John Chrysostom's commentary on the book of Acts. Everyone know John Chrysostom? He was, I think, the bishop of Antioch, I think Antioch, like third century-ish. So he's, he's writing this commentary on the book of Acts, and he says this. By the way, John is no friend of the Jews. You ever read any of his homilies uh, against the Jews? They're terrifying. Like they make Hitler look almost tame at times. But he says, this is in 400 CE. Too many people, I'm sorry, to many people, this book, he's talking about the book of Acts, both its content and its author is so little known that they're not even aware it exists. John Chrysostom writing in 400 CE talking about how people don't really know the author and they don't really know that the book of Acts exists that much. I have therefore taken this narrative for my subject both to initiate those who are ignorant and so that such a treasure shall not remain hidden out of sight. Excellent. That was a good start. It probably didn't go well from there though. Because what is, what is that, that, that church father attitude toward the book of Acts? It's the one that we've just spent the last 20 minutes talking about, unfortunately. That Israel is no more and the birth of the Ecclesia, which is not the church, but translated, the church. So here's this thing. He says, both to initiate those who are ignorant and so that such a treasure shall not remain hidden out of sight. I wonder about that ignorance. I wonder about that ignorance. John, no no friend of the Jews, I wonder if John was frustrated by their ignorance, their continued ignorance, to see Israel as relevant in the book of Acts. And the ignorance that he needed to correct was to say, you ignoramuses, Don't you see that that's been done away with? Let me write you a 2,000-page commentary about why that is. That the Jews and the Gentiles were not united by the reality of this promise. And Peter ate bats and frogs on the roof and said, do away with Torah. And Paul stopped caring about the Jews and became a Gentile. Or did John Chrysostom actually correct their ignorance and help to pass on to this current age this perspective of acts that is so incredibly wrong? To change acts from the birth of the body, the one new man, into the birth of the church. And here's a quote from Shulam that I like. On a non-theological note, one needs to ask, If Acts was the birth of the church, which church? The 2nd century church, riddled with heresy. The 3rd century church, riddled with uh, groping in the darkness. The 4th century church, fueled by anti-Semitism and political manipulation. And this one's a little, little bit of a dig, but it's a quote. Or the contemporary church, riddled with financial corruption and dominated by showbiz ministry. God has chosen no Christian denomination to take the place of the Jewish people who have come from Abraham's seed and carry the name of God's elect nation until this day. On theological grounds, it is incumbent upon us to examine Scripture and see whether the setting of Acts supports the doctrine known as supersessionism or replacement theology. The answer is low. Low. It does not support it. Low means no. In case you didn't know that, there's something very interesting that happens in the book of Acts. Luke uses the word ecclesia. He he that that term is in the book 23 times. It's not in his. Do you know how many times it's in his gospel? So the story of when Yeshua is on earth and he's building the community of disciples and he's sharing on and passing, go and build the kingdom of heaven and, and do all this. You know how many times Luke uses the word ekklesia to describe that in his gospel? Zero times. But in the book of Acts, that word becomes something. But not until chapter five. Don't tell me I didn't bring my Bible again. I brought a Bible. Not until chapter five, does Luke then begin to use this word, Ekklesia. How is the word ecclesia translated in your Bibles in the book of Acts? Church, right? And, and so, first and foremost, people say, man, I just don't understand it. I I don't get it. I don't see why the Jews just don't come flocking in the doors. Why don't they get it? Why don't they see? What's that? Yeah. it's, It's community and congregation, but primarily, I think we can agree, church is the term. Now, Church is fine if, if church means, a, a, we know what a church is, right? What it's supposed to be, a community of people gathered together, worshiping God. That's a very simplistic definition. But when I say to a Jewish person, hey, read the book of Acts and see all this cool stuff that happened here, and then they say, and you want me to come to church because that's what that's what it says was created the church. I know about church. I know what church is. I don't belong in church. Church isn't for me. Did I totally lose you guys on that cuz I got off in the middle of that somewhere. My that was something else anyway. Scratch it. Strike it from the record. In Acts 5 when we begin to see this are not after acts 4. I want to I want to point out though what happens when I tell you that Luke's purpose is unity confirmation of the promise acts 4 ends with this paragraph. All the many believers were one in heart and soul and no one claimed any of his possessions for himself, but everyone shared everything he had. With great power, the emissaries continued testifying to the resurrection of the Lord Yeshua, and they were all held in high regard. No one among them was poor since those owned lands, those who owned lands or houses sold them and turned over the proceeds to the emissaries to distribute according to his need. This is the ecclesia, At this point, there really aren't any Gentiles there yet. But after this has been achieved, where a community comes together with that heart, with that mind, when they are now an ecclesia, people of God devoted to a purpose, coming together as one, now he begins to use this word, and it is a community. It's a community represented by Jews and Gentiles in the book of Acts. It is not a church. That component is a prerequisite to the ecclesia. And we've we've lost that to some degree. Luke had a a point as we opened Acts last week, the continuation of the message as Yeshua brought it. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come. And we see a purpose, at least a part of his purpose for writing this book, the continuation of biblical history as God intended. Pairing in the promise so that Luke could show it to Theophilus and the others that came after him. And the others, my friends, is us as well. We are the others that Luke is writing for. And he's writing it for the churches in Atlanta. And he's writing it for everywhere in the world to say, look at this beautiful ecclesia that God has created here. How incredibly important is Luke's contribution to us in this messianic movement? Our entire existence as a messianic community is built on this idea. I look around the room and this is Acts Ecclesia. It's the Torah. It's knowing before whom we stand. It's exalting Yeshua as the Messiah. It's coming together as one community, gathered together to praise and to give honor to Him, Jew and Gentile. No one is better, no one is worse. We are one new man in Messiah. We are the Ekklesia, we are not the church. And it wasn't ever the church. And it's important that that forms a basic foundation as we go forward through the book of Acts. So, last week we looked at what the apostles were going to send out. I mean, what they were sent out to do share what Yeshua taught them with who? What would become this beautiful ecclesia? When I look around and see this, I'm inspired. Because I know that for many of you, you know everything that I just said, and that's okay. I hope that you can take a couple of things that I just said and put them in your little folder, your mental folder that you can use out there when you run into someone who has a super sessionist way of looking at life and say, that's not what it's about at all. I can only imagine, as I said last week, can you imagine a world where everyone was, was repenting for the kingdom had drawn near? Can you imagine a world now where we had a true ecclesia, where Torah and Messiah at the center were the way that we lived our lives together as Jews and Gentiles? Can you imagine it? Luke could. The apostles could. Yeshua could. Hashem could. And I can imagine it. And I believe we'll see it. I believe we'll see that when Yeshua comes and establishes the perfect Ecclesia. Amen. Shabbat shalom.